<laughs> Boo. <laughs> I'm Morgan. And I'm Isabeau. Isabeau. <laughs> and this is Romance. A podcast about romance novels. About Taylor Swift's New York. About our favorite Tim Burton ship. Sally and Jack Skellington. About Halloween! (laughs) About getting inappropriately drunk in public. About having a a type. But mostly, it's about that first thing. Romance novels. And ourselves. This week, Isabel and I will be discussing a book that was actually recommended to us a year ago. Can you imagine? A year ago on Instagram, we asked for uh, Halloween novella recommendations right around Halloween. And we uh, are going to talk about a couple of them. I can't believe it feels like it was both five weeks and five years ago. Uh, yeah, that has been my experience of 2020 and 2021, where time has both collapsed into meaninglessness yeah. and also elongated in ways I don't understand and probably never will. It's been it's been a bizarre, uh, wild ride. But let me give credit where credit is due. For this first recommendation, we have S.L. Keith, K-E-E. TH, thank you so much, SL Keith. And uh, also, shout out to Bisexual Book Nerd who uh, seconded the recommendation. We are going to be reading Pumpkin Pounder by Laura Lovely. Published in 2019. <sighs> All right, here we go. Back of the book. I love redheaded men. Yes. Redheads. What's that supposed to mean? <laughs> I guess people don't love redheads and avoid them. Any shade from strawberry to bright sunset to hot rod red. I love gingers and they love me. Do you really think all gingers love you? Also hot red red. Like is that is she into fake ginger too then? She better be. Questions. I love the way their freckles stand out. Nope, never mind. Gotta be a natch. <laughs> I love the way their necks get red when they get hot, sunburned, or turned on. I love the way I can spot one in a room and know they're going to be mine. I love them so much, I've earned a nickname. Pumpkin Pounder. I'm not going to put that on my resume, but it suits me. The one thing I love as much as redheads is Halloween night in New York City. So when my friend invites me to a wild costume party aboard an old tugboat, I'm ready for anything, especially meeting the perfect guy, the perfect redheaded guy, dot, 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 with an Irish accent. Problem is, what if I want him for more than one night? Pumpkin Pounder is a fairy tale remix, a reverse Cinderella story inspired by the Nightmare Before Christmas, an affair to remember, and SATC for the uninitiated that's sex in the city. Laura Lovely's fairy tale remixes promise short, hot, and humorous romances by fairy tales, mythology, and pop culture. Excellent. Thank you, Morgan. The other, you might also see this author going by Madame du Boudoir. 
This author could work on their author names. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's pretty much it. Our heroine is dressed as Sally from Nightmare Before Christmas. And she goes to a Halloween party and she meets a guy in a half-assed costume. He has a piece of tape that's labeled FDNY on his chest. He's Irish. He's there visiting his cousin and doing business. <laughs> they really did make him sound like a drug dealer or a criminal. I think it just made him sound exquisitely boring. <laughs> business. Here I am. I'm here for my tech job. My business. I've traveled from Dublin to New York City, but um, she does all sorts of things like refer to him as a, as a fastbender. Yes. But yeah, so our heroine is, uh, she's got a very specific type. She's got a fetish, if you will. And I think a fetish does count because it do, you do get the sense that she's only having sex with redheaded men. Mm-hmm. And a fetish, like officially, like if your therapist tells you you have a fetish, it means that there's something peculiar that you have to have present in order to be uh, sexually aroused. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it can oftentimes uh, kind of uh, grow and grow and grow into uh, objectification. Yes. This was one of the, because I think longtime listeners will uh, know that I'm not generally bothered by the objectification of of men. I'm really bothered when it's women. Um, And that's, you know, a problem that I have about like, uh, you know, women have been objectified by men for thousands of years. So like, fucking get it. Let's objectify men. And I think, you know, you have been pushing back all of the time on that. And this was one of the first times where uh, our main character's objectification of ginger redheaded male bodied people um, was abrasive to me. I found it really distressing in the Mm. first chapter. And since we're so rooted in her first person perspective, I think it was even uh, more intimate in its abrasion in my reading because like it, it is so objectifying like to call him a fastbender to talk about all of the pieces that made him part of her fetish just like felt really gross like really tokenizing in that way yeah especially because she comes to the end of their courtship and, and has not learned his name yep uh, even though he does ask her for her name yep at one point uh so yeah it is it's pretty intense and like the other thing about this particular fetish is like a foot fetish like everybody's got feet you know yep everybody's got feet having like a particular feature that's also like oftentimes associated specifically with whiteness like being a redhead is yes and then further like the whole like you kind of got the vibe from the back of the book. She kind of acts like she's doing them a favor by being attracted to them. Yes. And so it is kind of like a soup. It's like a it's like a pumpkin soup of <laughs> bad feeling. But you also kind of we do go on the heroine's like internal journey. This book has a couple of different levels as the story progresses. It's a it's a tight little novella. It is a very tight novella. When we first meet our heroine, she's very like raw, raw New York City, which as two bitter Chicagoans, it's not for us. <laughs> it isn't. And like I also 
I we've had this conversation before. I'm happy to have it again. Chicago yeah. is clearly the better city. It has alleys. <laughs> I will die on this for hill. Starters. Just for starters, it has alleys. Okay, so we're already objectively better. But it, so to give you a sense of what this whole like rah rah New York thing happening is, it's Halloween is on Friday. The moon is full. The whole city feels electric. We pass two women making out against the rolled down gate in front of an auto shop. Rachel and I high five each other. Women have to support women, and we always support a woman getting hers. Oh my. I love New York on Halloween. It's a total fuck fest, Rachel says. Everyone gets laid on Halloween, I yell. On the opposite sidewalk, a trio <laughs> of dudes dressed like the dudes from the hangover cheer at us in agreement. Jesus Christ. It's in the city's charter, I tell Rachel. That's why I pay the high rents here. You get 99 cent pizza and a fuck buddy on Halloween and I honestly I almost like was like I'm not reading the rest of this <laughs> if three men dressed, as the dressed up as the characters from the hangover are supporting your opinions you need to reevaluate your opinion agreed just agree like uh, th- there's also like <sighs> This thing where people substitute being like living in New York, and I'm not even going to say being from New York yep. because most of the time they're not from New York, they're from Indiana. Like, I think our main character is she's from Virginia, but they live from Virginia. <laughs> Maybe I'm like racking my brain for who I know from Indiana who lives in New York now. We might need to cut that because what I'm about to say is. People use, like, I live in New York as, like, a substitute for having a personality. Yes. And they're also, like, very uh, unself-aware of how they're moving through New York and how New York, like, how they're operating within their city. I also get the sense that, like, those – from my personal experience of such transplants as you describe, they (laughs) – also never fully integrate into New York as a city vibe. They leave after five years and they're like, that was my New York adventure. And it's like... And then they will forever tell you, well, I lived in New York. Right. As if like they're more qualified to call the Uber. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I find that, especially as an embittered Chicago dweller, um, really grating. And I also, I like the fantasy of New York in this text is like the fantasy version like they even bring up splash the tom hanks 80s movie and like it felt very much like that where it's like every version of a film of new york has condensed into this one new york halloween in this novella and i was just like boo hiss i've already seen this and like new york gets enough free advertising like choose a different place My main issue with, you know, the passage you described is not New York City itself, right? And it's certainly not Halloween in New York. It's the people. Yeah, right on. And like, yeah. And I, when she bumped into the hero and he had just like a piece of tape on his t-shirt and it said Mm FDNY and then he was like, oh, I came here with my cousin and his cousin was in a group of other uh, men who were dressed up as Lady Gaga, and I guess I was supposed to be like, oh, he's an ally. But if that's what you're wearing on Halloween, you do not get to call yourself an ally. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, like, the only other thing that I want to mention about our main character and, like, 
why I was like, Morgan, I hate this book is because (laughs) the place where the party is that they're going is this tugboat and it's this old ship that was dredged and turned into this thing and it's not up to code. And she's like, it'll, somebody's going to yelp it and then it'll be on a blog and then it'll have to go up to code and it won't be cool anymore. Yeah. And I was like, I, I don't know. I was sort of like, because it'll be ADA accessible and like... (laughs) You know, like, that's what being up to code means. It's not just like safety, but it's like accessibility stuff. And I'm just like, I don't know. I'm not. But it's also like safety, like safety. Like, yeah, like literal not safety. Enough people, nothing tells me this person hasn't worked in the service industry and seen that video of the metal bar going yeah. up in flames like that passage, yeah. which <laughs> if you work in the service industry, you have to watch this horrible <laughs> VH, like most of the service industry jobs I've had have had us watch it. So it's like a VHS footage of someone who was like recording a concert at a metal bar and it got over capacity and then a fire started and it's just people dying in a fire because they can't get out and the building wasn't up to code. And I don't think you would be like... It'll, it won't be cool next year. <laughs> God, are we like the fucking are are we the fucking worst? We really are. We're such curmudgeons. I don't. Are we being curmudgeons? I don't feel like I'm being a curmudgeon because I think all of this is of a piece of like a kind of New York that doesn't actually exist for real New Yorkers. It's just yeah. the fantasy Taylor Swift version of New yeah. Yorkers, and I'm like, yeah. I don't. I don't feel like a curmudgeon hating on that shit. Um, yeah, yeah. I feel really. <sighs> righteous <laughs> so is that a curmudgeon make you know what i think every curmudgeon does feel righteous but i i think that makes curmudgeoning worthwhile also so okay so yeah i read and i was like oh god get me out of here that passage that you just shared with everyone Mm -hmm. um and then i thought you know what and like it kind of kept happening Mm -hmm. and then i thought this book is popular and what's kind of irritating to me about it is that there's not really like a lush interiority Mm -hmm. at this particular point you know like there's there. The motivations of the characters are vapid and mm-hmm. <laughs> that I was like, but people really like this book. And this book kind of reminds me of this other kind of texture of romance that seems to be gaining popularity. And I was like, well, what is the like I people who I respect, whose opinions I respect, people who I listen to, they like this book and they like books like this book. And so I was like, what is it to be like this book? And what would be the appeal of it? And I started to think about Susan Sontag's writings on camp Mm -hmm. and like, what is camp? And camp is an aesthetics. Camp tends to be really surface level. And I'm not sure like camp is the right word, but I think that concept is kind of gesturing towards like really high concept, low emotional stakes romance that has been kind of booming over the last year or so, I think. Yeah, over the last three years, I would say. Yeah. And 
I understand how to like camp things. I understand how to enjoy them and to take them as they are. And so at that point, I decided I was like, well, this isn't, you know, (laughs) going to be the kind of ride that I typically get on, you know, but I'm going to take it as it comes and, uh, and, and see how I feel at the end of it, right? Just like stop thinking, stop overthinking it, basically. That's interesting because I hated it. And I can tell you the line that alerted me that I was judging too quickly. So we have this whole thing. They get to the boat. And since we're in first person, which means that like all of it functions as interiority, even as plot is being described, which I think is also a thing that I don't like. I like having my interiority separate from the driving force of the novel. Yeah. Um, yeah. But she says, I'm everything the media says women are supposed to be, but are never allowed to be. Unstoppable, capable, powerful. I'm like a goddess who feasts on the on bones or boners, ha, of men and emerges rebirthed and renewed. And I was like, oh, whoa, that's a crazy way to describe this pumpkin pounding as like a rebirth or a renewal that like the hunt itself is the thing that gives you the power and then I was like that feels like very vampiric vibes not that I knew this wasn't going to do that but I was like this is it's not that kind of Halloween not that kind of Halloween book um but it felt like such a strange statement for how shallow the first several pages were um and I was like oh maybe this book is going to have some really clever or insightful things to say or maybe it won't but like (laughs) it has the capacity (laughs) suddenly whereas before that line I was like yeah that line kind of reminds me of the point at which you're like someone with very similar references to me Mm -hmm. has come to a different conclusion than I (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. because I'm like I know these references Mm -hmm. but I would not have ended up telling this story right and I think like it it, it's hard because I I was like this book isn't funny Mm -hmm. but it keeps making jokes yes and like this book isn't very sexy at first like oh my god when the first sex scene kicks off and it talks about like the first like real sex scene when they get to the hotel room Mm -hmm. and he like lifts her dress which was like She's dressed as Sally from The Nightmare Before Christmas, which can you think of anything less sexy than a woman explaining to someone from Ireland what The Nightmare Before Christmas is and then him being like, must be an American thing. Like, (laughs) it was dap uh, (laughs) for me. But I, but she's like, he like lifts up her dress or she lifts up her own dress and it describes that she's wearing like opaque white tights. With stitches drawn on them. And I was like, this is, this is not sexy. Also, Sally is, like, I I understand that Sally and Jack Skellington, like, function in a way that, like, isn't for me. I, like, I, I understand that. Like, whatever it is about that ship is, like, I don't get it. I find Sally to be very tragic and her situation like deeply distressing in that film yeah um and so like that anybody would want to go as sally but then like also being uninitiated in the nightmare before christmas just seeing like a sexy lady skeleton with stitches all over her joints i'd be like 
okay, that's cool, but weird. But also, like, I don't know. The, the the idea of a woman being, like, stitched apart is always a weird thing to me and makes me, like, vaguely uncomfortable, which is why I think I'm also kind of uncomfortable with Sally. But I can tell you, long story longer, that <laughs> explaining and then also watching like an adult experience the nightmare before Christmas when they hadn't seen it as a kid, it does not translate well. Like I, I introduced a person to the nightmare before Christmas in their thirties and I was like, Oh, this was a mistake. I thought you would like this, but like, I don't know why I thought that. Like if you didn't watch this when you were 12, like you might've missed the boat. Yeah. I think to, to talk about the nightmare before Christmas, I do think it's very like aware, like Sally's, being stitched together Mm -hmm. by this mad scientist who just doesn't want to be lonely and then her just kind of seeking another mad scientist to tell her what to do and to take care of is i think very intentional i think it's like that is the commentary yeah not that this book goes into no, it. not at all. She's, <laughs> she's, like, not like, she's not like, Sally is a metaphor for, like, what a woman Frankenstein would be. No. And, like, why one would exist. And, like, the idea of, like, woman as doll and, like, yeah. how... None of that's in this text. That's what I'm bringing. No. No, no, no. The sex scenes get better. Mm-hmm. Um, and our heroine ends up uh, kind of feeling something... Uh, like a tundra for our hero, which she wasn't expecting. She's used to one night stands with her endless barrage of uh, men with red hair, and she's. Uh, but she feels like a ton- like he's he. Uh, she gets overwhelmed and like starts crying, which like I can't imagine any. Like, sorry if this has happened to you. I can't. It's hard for me to fathom anything more embarrassing than crying while having sex with a one night stand. But she does it. She gets through it. He's nice about it. And, you know, they make love. And she gives him her, her phone number and really wants him to call. And then he doesn't call and he doesn't show up for another year, right? Like, here's, I guess, the Cinderella part of it. Mm-hmm. And she talks about going to her therapist and starting to unpack pack the fact that she's been having all of these one-night stands. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, like, what her actual, like, motivations behind that were and and – why they're being challenged now and god i just bored myself but i i think like i think that's interesting and it and it does it in like a really short clip Mm -hmm. so i guess i'm just like i tell me why you liked it (laughs) i really really i was i was unexpected by the depth and the turn that that made so um when they're like at the tugboat they like are having, you know, like a sizzle little moment that gets interrupted and she's like, you want to take this somewhere else? And they go to his hotel and the first part of the sex scene isn't great, but before they even get to the hotel, they have what I would consider another part of this like New York fantasy date, which the details I thought were nice. They go out to this Italian restaurant and the, you know, the mater D is like, cartoonish enough to be funny and like there's like it's just like enough of a pause in the sizzle to create the space for the ten the tundra to grow which was unexpected I I didn't expect it so it felt like a pleasant surprise and then the sex that they have is incredibly intimate she says this thing 
about uh, him going down on her about um, and like the line is so stupid, but like. <laughs> It's also one of those things where I was like, what the fuck is this? Let me find the line. I'm sorry. Um, is it weird that I can, like, feel his intelligence by the way he licks me? And this kind of lingus scene goes on and on and on. It, it And the way that the discussion of her, her being in her head, of him trying to get her out of her head to be in her body, and, like, this constant conversation that she's having with herself and her body and, like, the corporeal experience of this sex um, was also very unexpected. And it took a long time, I think, especially for a novella that has so few scenes, to spend the amount of time that it did on this sex scene and to toggle the switch between being in your head and being in your body and having someone notice when you're in your head, mm-hmm. pausing the sex to get you back into your body mm-hmm. was fascinating. It was such an in- fascinating. It was an interesting negotiation in the novella and one that I a hundred percent did not expect from the first several pages. I would say it's sexy. Yeah. It was sexy. <laughs> but I also thought the negotiation was fascinating to read. Um, so they have this <laughs> I'm just gonna let that hang there. Okay. So they have this like very intimate sex scene and uh she concludes, uh, you know, and then they like start spooning and go to sleep and it concludes with it's pumpkin season, but the thing that got picked held treasured is me <laughs> yep. and my problem with that is that is that what you do with pumpkins you're <laughs> 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 just cradling pumpkins <laughs> and it's like that it's like there's like like that scene that you described that that piece of the scene that you described is very like sexy it's very intimate it's very warm it's well written and it connects and it doesn't feel like an after school special and it just feels like a really honest and like something that you have in your I think as heterosexual women especially we have that desire for someone to help us stay in our bodies while we're having sex because I think you know we've talked about it before heterosexual women spend a lot of time outside disconnecting from their bodies when they're having sex Mm -hmm. and so I thought that was like wonderful and then it'll say some dumbass (laughs) talking about holding and treasure being held and treasured like a pumpkin (laughs) yeah Fair. I mean, super, but, like, that's one of the things, like, the thing that, like, as I was... I can't get a beat on this book. I can't, I couldn't get a beat on this book. And, like, the thing that I thought is, like, this book is better than it had any right to be is the feeling that I walked away with, where it's, like, all of these, like, stupid millennial, zennial references, like, she's she's obviously obsessed with the Golden Girls and not Friends, and, like, who's a Blanche and who's a Rose, and I'm just, like, ugh. You know, exactly. That is the sound of my eyes rolling as I'm reading that. And then there's this like really lovely conversation with her therapist about, do you think you're a keeper? 
And then she goes to her friend and she's like, do you think I'm a keeper? And the way that she and her friend have that conversation on the couch felt so organic and so authentic. And is one of the things that we've talked about on the show where it's like, I didn't think that this novella had the space to talk about how important it is to spend time working on your friendships and to be validated in your friendships in the same way that we seek validation in our romance relationships. Yeah. And the fact that the friend comes out so hard and it like that they have this whole conversation about not only why is she a keeper, but all of the things that the friend values in her and like does this wonderful mirroring. And I'm like, and I know it's just two friends sitting on a couch in a novella that's so short, but it was also one of those things where it's like, we need more scenes like this in romance to normalize how important and how much more work we should be putting into our friendships. Yeah. There's this, uh, but it's like the dialogue is not good. And it's because, so I, I think this book is trying to be funny because romantic comedies are what is popular in contemporary romance right now, right? The book is not funny, though, to the point where it, like, breaks the, like, what's really strong about the book. Well, I say that, but then there's other evidence of, like, stuff, like, this just isn't my, you know, Mm -hmm. and then I'm like, well, it's good, and then it's not good. Like, when they get done having sex, they say hey to each other, which is (laughs) eye roll, you know, cliche. (laughs) She says the thing, he, uh, once she orgasms, from him performing cunnilingus on her it says the irishman all one word pumps his arms i just want people to know that i'm not just pronouncing irish man in a funny way the irishman pumps his arms over his head ireland won america zero he says in a stadium announcer voice yep lol why is she the one who lost also like there's this like beautiful like conscientiousness of like bringing someone back into their body like the tender loving care that that takes and like the conscientiousness and the attentiveness and like all of those things that we love to feel when we're having sex right and then it'll be like and to him sex was a competition and it's like what what do you actually do? That's true. <laughs> like, it just busts itself. It does. It busts itself. And I think, like, because it isn't fully committed to how quite earnest yeah. it is. Yeah. And I think it's, sel- it's self-conscious, right? Because it's got this New York fantasy space. It's bumping up against, like referential like it referential jokes halloween camp and fetish all together which means that it can't take it it can't be too earnest right because look at all of these like markers of current cynicism meme culture yeah 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 and yet The thing that functions in this text the best is its earnestness. Yeah, this book understands earnestness and does not understand, you're exactly right, like cynical meme culture. Yes, that's why those things flop. Yeah, it, it's th- that's entirely correct. And and the earnesty of it like really carries it through. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a novella, so it doesn't have to try too hard. <laughs> that's true. You're 100% right. Like that is what keeps 
the book interesting and and keeps and makes it worthwhile, mm-hmm. you know, to spend your like, you know, 30 minutes or whatever with it. And it talks about like how to how to pick yourself up after having like one of these existential crises in really specific ways. Uh, what what's your what's your sexiest part? Um, I'm gonna go with some. Are you ready for that? I am ready for that. Like it's a novella. I think we've really like done the work of describing what worked and didn't. I feel like we really knocked that out of the park. Um, we've pulled people through some like really long winded episodes. Let's. <laughs> this one's gonna be short and sweet, like a taste of a pumpkin spice latte uh, or a candy corn a candy corn my <laughs> sexiest part was very weird to me because like obviously the tender loving care of the cunnilingus was incredibly sexy and I was deeply into it but we've talked about it but one thing that I was like happy again and hit me totally unexpectedly and I don't know why um, is that he, <laughs> she's gonna return the favor because he said this stupid like football joke and um, she talks about licking the head of his penis underneath the foreskin. And I was like, that is a good and cultural true thing to talk about because yeah. an Irish person would definitely be uncircumcised. That's not true. Really? People get circumcised for all sorts of reasons. I guess that's true. But he would be he would be less likely, likely to be circumcised than, an American. than uh, Joe from Ohio, for sure. Right. And... Uh, the intimacy of that first part of the blowjob I thought was like really fun and like well described and very corporeal and like wasn't afraid to say penis or dick or cock and like just felt I'm sorry I very confidently bounded in there with like that's not necessarily true and then made it like generalized my friend who was having sex with lots of men in Ireland one of the things she was most shocked by was the number of them that were circumcised this is it (laughs) (laughs) I was like, because I, I, I didn't do. Like, I'm sorry. I'm like, research. all of my friends who have sex in Europe are meeting uncut dicks. <laughs> I just yeah, I, my friends who were uh, having sex in Ireland were struck by. I guess that. Um, but I'll tell you what, they could have used a tip like what this book provides. Yeah, and it's really good. And I was like, this is this is hot. Good job. What was your sexiest part, Morgan? I think a part that uh, goes really well is when they first, meaning like it doesn't get broken in a weird way. Oh my God. Yes, it does. <laughs> uh, but when they're making out on the tugboat, she like takes him to this like secret room that hasn't been fixed up yet. And they start, you know, making out in private in the privacy of that room. And it's, um, it feels very like, frantic and energetic and flirtatious and sexy and um like there's just the right amount of trepidation that keeps it like what's gonna happen um and then she's interrupted by a guy who's dressed like uh someone from the jersey shore Mm -hmm. and he says smush smush lol on that one but uh and then they you know he's re- he's resilient in the interruption, which I think was also sexy. Mm-hmm. I, I think the sex scenes in this book are really good when they're actually happening. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like whenever they're talking about it after the fact that it kind of gets uncomfy. Mm-hmm. But uh, your sexiest part actually gets to one of my weirdest parts. Great. So our heroine, before she and the hero get down to business like he's just like uh 
lifted up her dress or whatever, and she knows that they're going to start having sex. Um, she gives him a speech, and I'm going to read it just so that we both remember what it was. Okay. She says, before we go any further, we need a minute of grown-up talk. And I was like, um, I hope all of your talk would be grown-up if you're about to have sex. Yeah, if you're about to smush, smush. <laughs> One, smush, smush. I'm on the pill. Two, I don't have any diseases, but if you do, you should tell me now and I won't judge you for it. Three, we're using condoms and that's non-negotiable. Cool. Every time I give that speech, I want to give, there's a typo, I want to give a little hair toss. It is some quality phrasing, I think. Also, if a guy were to have a problem with any of it, I would be immediately out the door. What would you do if he told you he had a disease? Not judge him, but leave? Question mark? Yeah. <laughs> and like, two, I don't have any disease. Like, there's just something that's like kind of like, I don't think that's doing what you think it's doing. Mm hmm. So she says we're using condoms. That's a non negotiable. Later on, after he ghosts her, she's talking to her therapist and she talks about how she's okay with her, how sexually active she is because she's safe, right? She takes precautions and she takes care of herself. My retort to that would be like immediately after she gives this speech, they start having unprotected oral sex with each other. Mm -hmm. And you can get, <laughs> you can get diseases, diseases. Um, I think it's infections. You can get infections from oral sex, guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, if you're having unprotected oral sex with someone you've met for the first time, like who said, like, just, you should use protection. <laughs> like if you're going to make such a big deal about how well you're taking care of yourself and how safe you are, uh, you should actually do that. Mm -hmm. And I think there's like a real cultural, like she, she, she just gets so up on her high horse. <laughs> Yeah, and this feels like a very heteronormative idea of, like, what safe sex yeah. is and, like, not yes. very expansive about actual safe sex and the practices that that needs and the, the real yeah. communication that that requires around, like, all of the safe practices when you're meeting a new body for the first time and are going uh, yeah. to be intimately known to it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, it's like P and V is one thing, but it's not the only thing and, and not the only place for Vector, you know? So Yeah, exactly. Not the only place for Vector. And, like, uh, I think there is, a, like, everyone's, like, very, like, safe sex, unless it tastes ucky, <laughs> it's best to just get syphilis. Yikes. Um, and I, yeah, this might be a little bit too much foreskin talk, but I feel like... He was on out-of-business tugboat nightclub dancing in jeans and then walked from the docks of Manhattan to a hotel. In Midtown. And then she, uh, yeah. And then she, like, licked under his foreskin. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's going hard. She's going hard. Uh, God bless her. Penises, when men poop, touch the inside of the toilet bowl. <laughs> Which I just discovered. <laughs> I never thought about it, and then a TikTok pointed it out. 
I mean, I'm, I'm just <laughs> I will never be the same after you sent me that TikTok of that woman <laughs> whose boyfriend didn't scrub his butt. <laughs> He didn't need to because the water sluiced down his body enough. Like, what the fuck, guy? Yeah. And you're gonna put, you're gonna put those, like, you do not, like, she truly does not know this man. She does not know his, like, regular hygiene practices, let alone his, like, health status. And she's gonna put his, she's gonna bare back his genitals into her mouth hole. Like, where she eats and brushes her teeth. Maybe she, maybe the Midtown Manhattan uh, hotel will have a little thing of Listerine travel size and she'll I, use that I when she goes so. to bed. It's just off I the page. So. Golly. That's like... <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, I think, like, as a culture, we tend to be really cavalier about not using protection when performing oral sex. But, like... Yes. I mean, your esophagus is a super highway to your digestive system. Like, do you really want to play games here? And, like, (laughs) men, especially with, like, a hetero male, like, they're not known... (laughs) They're not known to For be caring <laughs> emblems of sanitizedness. The minute he like, <laughs> the minute he put both arms in the air and was like Ireland one, America zero, I would be like, oh god, I've made a horrible mistake. <laughs> I regret everything. I'm gonna have to floss your smegma from between my teeth. <laughs> Use a condom if you're going down on someone and you're not in, like, a committed. Also, like, what I don't have any diseases, but you should tell me right now and I won't judge you is, like, not a good screening process. It's a terrible screening process. Also, I don't believe her when she says no judgment. Like, nothing about this character up until this moment would suggest <laughs> yeah. to me that that's a true statement. Um, their penises touch the inside of the toilet bowl and they lie. <laughs> This is not a good. <laughs> what was your weirdest part? Uh, my weirdest part <laughs> uh, was that he um, joined Instagram to try to find her. And I was like, why aren't you on Instagram beforehand? It's 2019 in this book and you're not not that cool. You know what I mean? Where it's like, yeah, you would have had an Instagram. Or it's, like, deeply intentional that he doesn't have any social media. But that doesn't, like, we don't know enough about his character for that to, like, have been also, a thing. Like, he works he in jo- tech. He joins Instagram to look at pictures. Like, this is very nitpicky, but I support you 100%. And <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to do it. Like, he, he finds her because um, she was pictures of her from Halloween were posted on the bar's Instagram, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You wouldn't have to join to see a public Instagram. Do you think the bar would be like, maybe it is because it's secret. Because it's secret. Maybe he'd have to get approval before he could review the photos. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, that seems weird. And then he grovels in her friend's DMs because her friend is the one that's tagged, not Daisy, the main character. I was like, and then the friends keep it from her that this is happening. And I'm like, hmm. yeah. I mean, I like a surprise reveal, but I actually don't like how it works out 
um, because her friends were, like, were inculcated in that. And I'm like, that's not nice. I also hate his execution of the Jack Skellington costume. Fair, super fair. Um, in that instead of like, he just like pushes his hair back yeah. to look like a skull. You can only be Jack Skellington if you're going to wear a bald cap or if you are already bald. Fair. I'm sorry, guys. That's the rules. I'm not opposed to this rule, frankly. Frankly, like, there aren't enough costume rules. I feel strongly. Um, I think that's just further evidence of this book, like, not, like, being self-conscious. Like, either go full bore or don't, right? Like, none of this half measure. Yeah, 100%. Like, wear the skull cap, asshole. Do you know what would have been funny? Him hmm. wearing a skull cap. Yeah, that would have been hilarious. Because that would have been the, funny, right? Because the pumpkin pounder, it would have been so much better. Like, and then he's like, that would have been like ironic and like, oh my god, so many funny things can happen when you're wearing a bald cap. True story. How do I even begin to number them? <laughs> <laughs> podcast within a podcast. <laughs> funny things that happen in skull caps. What would we call it? Balding out. <laughs> <laughs> that can be the working title. We 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 can throw some other stuff at the wall. I think it's perfect the way it is. <laughs> First take only take. First take only take. Keep it loose to keep it tight. Welcome to uh, another episode of Balding Out. Uh, <laughs> you know what's funny about bald caps? Hmm. It's like you're sweating from your non-existent hairline. Hmm. That'd be funny, huh? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I'd have to see it in more of a context than that. Um, Any final thoughts about the pumpkin pounder? Look, if you like these kind of like bubblegum, and I don't mean that in a derogatory fashion, but if you like this kind of thing, uh, you'll like this book. I don't know if I would recommend it. I don't know if it's it's a nomance for me. Is it a nomance for me? I don't know, man. Yeah, I think it's a no man's for me. Cool. It's a low man's for me. I thought it was way better than the first five pages led me to believe. Oh, boy. I devoured it. Um, It's better than it has any right to be. Um, Yeah. And for those reasons, how it swept me away in its unexpectedly strange and delicious and earnestness, um, it really, it filled like the Halloween... That part of me that likes talking about the experience of the aesthetic rather than the actual, like, boo, you know, like, so, yeah, it's a, this is definitely a woe for me. You know what? Like, it's a no for me, but I would heartily second everything you said. I just don't think it, like, recovers enough for me. It made me so uncomfortable. It made me cringe. And that's fine. We're different people. I just can't. Hey, what do we say, Morgan? What do we say? We say... Loosen your stays, but not your principles. <laughs> and this is one of them right here, right? Yeah. This is where the, you know, the tire meets the road, my friend. If you give me secondhand embarrassment and you half-ass a safe sex. <laughs> you don't get lecture. the woe. You don't get the woe. Them's the breaks. Them's the breaks. All right. Uh, so uh, actually, now that you bring it up, mm-hmm. loosen your stays. But never your principles. Mwah! <laughs> Good, because it's Halloween. That was good. Good job. 
Woli guacamole, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of Womance. Womance is hosted, produced, and edited by my friend Morgan. And by my friend Isabel. Our logo artwork is by another friend, Mary Reichman. You can find her on Instagram at m.reichman, spelled R-E-I-S-C-H-M-A-N-N. Original music by Nick Gravelin. And our webmistress is Jane Bonsack. They're the best. You're also the best. We so appreciate your support by listening. Please consider taking this to the next level by following, rating, and reviewing. We read every single review. Or even check us out on Patreon. If you'd like more woe in your life, you can connect with us on Instagram at womance and on Twitter where we are at mans underscore woe. Or you can find more episodes and content at womancepodcast.com. If you have an idea or just want to reach out, please email womancemail at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Womance is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts to add to your romance collection at frolic.media backslash podcasts. Until next time.